people often say to me, they say, Jay John, you know, what, what do you do? And it's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport and I said, hello. And she said, well, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, <laughs> I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? Yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. <laughs> She went, wow! <laughs> and it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? <laughs> I said, it's called the church. Can <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and turn it off? As, as Michael said, we are actually coming towards the end of a series about healthy church. What does a healthy church look like? What does it do? How do they function? And actually, uh, the pastor there, Jay John, did a fairly good job, a very good job, of describing the function of a healthy church. I like your shirt. It's a good shirt right there. Nice shirt. The, um, back to my sermon. So what we want to do today is we want to look at the function, the reflection of a healthy church. So let's go ahead and pray and uh, ask the Lord to be here with us. Father, we thank you so much for your, your grace and your presence here today. I ask that you'd give me clarity of, of speech and of mind. Lord, allow me to articulate those things that you've been putting on my heart for this day, for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I, I want to focus on the, the, the calling or the mission of the church. J. John did a good job in giving a broad description. We want to continue to, to press that out. What is it the church is called to do? What is our mission? What's our calling? And to, to put it clearly and simply, the church has, has two primary callings that Jesus continually spoke to and demonstrated. The first calling of the church, and we, we're the church, it's not the building, we are the church. The first calling of the church is to be disciples. And the second calling of the church, which is closely linked to the first, is to make disciples. So we're called to be disciples and to make disciples. And, and what a disciple is, is an individual who is a student, a learner as well as a follower, as well as an imitator. And the difficulty with this term, which is, is salted through the entire New Testament, this concept of, of being a disciple and discipleship, the problem is it's not a widely, widely used term in the 21st century. However, in the first century, it was a very common term. It was clearly understood in, in first century Israel. Because in first century Israel, what took place is that most every rabbi in Israel would have a, a, a group of, of young men that he'd gather to himself who would become his disciples. He would start, they would start schools of discipleship, schools where individual students could come 
and become learners, become students of that rabbi and his particular views and, and, and uh, his particular understanding of the Old Testament and of the Talmud. But beyond just simply being students, the concept that was clear in the first century mind when it came to disciples and discipleship is that beyond being a student and just sitting in classes and learning, they were followers. They were followers of that rabbi and his, his whole uh, character and his whole orientation to life. And more than that, they were imitators. They would seek to imitate their, their rabbi, imitate him not only in what he believed, but imitate their, their rabbi in all portions of life. They would not just come to class, you know, three, four, five times a week, but oftentimes the disciple of the rabbi, the disciple of a master, would live near or with the rabbi and his family so they could, could observe how their rabbi, how their master lived their lives, how he related to his wife and his children, how he interacted and what he bought and what he did when he went to the market. The disciples would, would look at the smallest minutia of the, in, of the rabbi's life so they, they could fully imitate, imitate the rabbi. They would follow him through the streets. They would watch and listen to how he prayed. So that the goal would be when they grew, they would become rabbis and they would be able to continue the, the emphasis and the, the reflection of their rabbi, their master, as they started schools of discipleship. And it was often said that you could tell who individual's rabbi was, even who the, the, the patriarch of their, their school of, of discipleship was, by the outward demonstrations and activities of an individual. How they walked, how they talked, how they interacted, what they, what they would say and what they wouldn't say. That it was reflected through the rabbi, so, uh, or through the disciple. So clearly, when, when I say, when the scriptures talk about a, being a disciple, it was understood clearly that this was not just simply someone who attended some classes. A disciple was someone who made it their goal, made it their purpose to reflect their master, to reflect their teacher, to re reflect the one who they had essentially given their life to. And every rabbi, as I said, would, would gather these young men into schools of, of discipleship. And the, the more prominent rabbis would get the cream of the crop. They would get the, the brightest and the best of the young men in that, in that village. Lesser known rabbis would, would get lesser known fellows. But every rabbi virtually would have his disciples. And this is the concept that Jesus used and that the New Testament uses when it speaks to what the church is and what our role is. Now, another way we can come to look at this concept of discipleship and what it means to be a disciple is by understanding what the rhythm of the church is. The church is to have a rhythm. Disciples are to engage in a certain consistent, constant, constant rhythm. And the rhythm can be described with two words. Coming and going. Coming close to the master. Learning and following and listening and imitating. Drawing near to the master. Coming close and then going and reflecting that master's views and his character and his goals and his values as the future unfolds. Coming and going. That's the, the rhythm of the church. And that was the rhythm of these disciples. Now, we need to understand that Jesus was a rabbi. They called him rabbi frequently in the New Testament. And Jesus also gathered disciples. Now, he didn't gather the cream of the crop in the first century. He doesn't gather the cream of the crop in the 21st century either. He gathered us, you know. Let's face it. 
But clearly, we need to, to let this sink in that Jesus has been looking for and gathering disciples for 2,000 years. There have been over that. 21 centuries of discipleship gathering. 21 centuries where Jesus has been going and, and saying, come and follow me. Beginning that, that rhythm of discipleship, that rhythm of the church. His gathering of disciples didn't begin and end in the first century. It's continued. In Matthew chapter 4, we, we can read about the, the first time that Jesus specifically began to build his, his discipleship group. He was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw these, these two relatively young men who were fishermen. One was named Peter, and he, he was there with his brother Andrew. And he came up to them as they were mending the nets by, the, the, by their boat by the, the Sea of Galilee. And he said to them, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And it always just astounded me when reading that, that particular story that they actually left their nets and went to follow him. You know, and can you imagine someone walking into your cubicle, coming and knocking on your front door, Someone who you may have heard of, you may know, but not know well. And he said, hey, come follow me. And just dropping what you're doing, leaving your job, leaving your home, and saying, sure. But the reason why they were able to do it is because Peter and Andrew understood what Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, was doing. He was beginning to build his school of disciples. That was their understanding. And they... I imagine when Jesus said, hey, come follow me, they, they thought, are you talking to me? Because they weren't the cream of the crop. They weren't the, 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 uh, the affluent. They weren't the well-educated. They, they didn't have their lives together. They were sort of invisible to society. They were just smelly fishermen. But Jesus saw them. He said, come follow me. Come and be my disciple as I'm building my school of discipleship, as, as I'm building those who will be my followers, and as I'm gathering those who will be my imitators, come follow me. They left what they were doing, and they began this life of traveling with Jesus, watching Jesus, listening to Jesus, seeing how he prayed, seeing how he interacted with people, seeing all aspects of his life. And when he called them, he didn't just call them to salvation. This wasn't just, you know, now pray a prayer with me so you can go to heaven. Okay, we're done. See you later. It wasn't just a call to salvation spiritually, but it was a call that would affect the rest of their lives, and it was a call to come for transformation, for change, so that their life would never be the same. So the, 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 the uh, brokenness, the limps that they walked with when they entered that re discipleship relationship would begin to change, not by their power, but by the hand and the power of their master. From the inside out, that's how Jesus was going to bring about transformation. But the call of discipleship, let us understand, is to come and initially the call is to understand that your life is going to change. We're not going to continue to be who we were. We're going to be transformed. We're going to become more and more like our master. We're, beginning to, we're going to hopefully, and it'll take a lifetime and you still won't be done, but we're going to begin to see the hand of God at work to change us so that we can be his students, his followers, and his imitators. So we can be taking on his characteristics and his likeness. 
when we first started this church, the sign out front was different. We, uh, it said, come as you are, you'll be loved. And, and that, is, that is what Jesus says. Come, follow me. Come as you are, you'll be loved. Come as you are, you'll be accepted. Now, what we didn't put underneath that phrase was come as you are, but don't stay that way. But that's the understanding. We can come to Christ however we are with all of our brokenness and all of our blemishes and all of our failures and all of our insecurities and all of our issues. He takes us where we are and as we are with the intention to begin to reframe us and reform us and change us so that as we continually come into his presence, we'll be transformed. As we continually spend time with him, there will be this, this spiritual and natural change in how we think and how we function. He calls us to come, and he also calls us, as every, every uh, disciple or as every uh, master did, he calls us also to understand it's a coming and a going, to go and fulfill his mission. See, the first century rabbis wanted a, a good school of disciples so he could train them and to be imitators of him so his legacy... So that rabbi's mission and view and point of view could be carried on and passed on. Jesus has called us so that we would come to him so that he could have his hand in our life so our lives can be continually transformed so that we can go then and fulfill his mission, his mission for coming here to this earth. That we would be able to go with words and with our actions and, and through our attitudes and draw people in and invite people to join this, this group of disciples. That others would say, I, I see something in your life reflected. It's not perfect, but I see something in your life reflected of your master and it would draw them. It would entice them. It would make them desire something of that. So there's this come and go and come and go that is the continual rhythm of a disciple. It's the continual rhythm of the church. It's the continual rhythm of God's kingdom. Our master is also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has come to the earth to establish this kingdom. Now we, we see this pattern clearly in Jesus, this coming and going, because Jesus regularly, if you read the New Testament, he would regularly just say he would uh, leave the crowds and go off into the garden, go off into the wilderness, go off in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, in order to just draw near to his heavenly father. He would come in order to receive, in order to be built up, in order to get perspective, in order to get his marching orders. Jesus said, I don't do anything by my own initiative, though I'm the, the second person of the Trinity, though I'm, I'm God, fully God, I've laid down my God prerogatives, Jesus said, in order to fulfill my Father's purposes. Jesus understood he came with a mission. He would continually come and withdraw to his Father so that he can go filled with this mission mindset so he can go being filled with this understanding of what he was to do and what he was to, to carry out in order to bring God's goodness and his kingdom purposes to this earth. So the purposes of God, the will of God, would come and be done on earth as they're being done in heaven. This 
this, this rhythm was always visible. And it was continually passed on to Jesus' followers, to his disciples. Jesus was clear why he came to earth. Look with me, if you have a Bible with you, to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We have the verses on the screen. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus enters to a, a temple, and they give him the, the scroll. As a, as a rabbi, they gave him the scroll. He was the guest at that temple that day. And he unraveled the scroll, unrolled the scroll, so that he could read the portion of Scripture that was assigned for that day. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it's Jesus of Jesus, it says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he, had anoint, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was describing what his mission was, why he came to earth. It says in verse 20, Then he rolled the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What Isaiah was speaking of in that scripture that he read was being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One. And his mission was described as one who came to bring physical and emotional and spiritual healing, to break bondages, to bring wholeness. When it says that he came to, to, to heal, it's, it's speaking about a healing in, in all areas. And as his as Jesus' followers, because he had already begun to have people follow him, heard that. You can imagine they were saying, oh man, that's what we want. What they didn't realize is that mission that Jesus had was going to be handed off to others. If you turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus had begun, had already gathered more than just Peter and Andrew. He had gathered 12 disciples to come and, and follow him, be learners, be imitators of him. He had his school all set. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, it says, These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. He had gotten, he had re, he gathered his disciples, telling them to come follow him, and then he sent them out with the following instructions. He said, don't go to the Gentiles or enter in any town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. I mean, the king had come to this earth, stepped off the throne of heaven in the person of Jesus Christ, and come to earth. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now you go, he says, and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received. Now freely give. So what Jesus did at that moment as he gathered the twelve, where he had said, come follow me, now the rhythm continues. And he says, now, my disciples, you go. You go out and begin to heal the sick. You go out and do my ministry. Take on my mission. You go out and cleanse those of leprosy. When he says heal the sick, he's not just talking about physical. The word heal is the Greek word therapeos. It's the word that we get the, the English word therapy from. What he's saying is, you come alongside others. You come and bring support to others. You provide help to others. And when he says, heal the sick, the word sick, which is astheneis, is a Greek word that, that literally means those who are weak, those who are helpless, as well as those who are physically sick. The mission 
that he had given those 12 disciples is to continue impacting those they come across to go and come alongside of, a, of others and go and reflect the mercy and the grace and the truth and the justice that they had seen as they were following their master. To imitate Jesus as they went about their business. So this rhythm continued. The mission continued from Jesus as he passed this baton onto the disciples. But it doesn't stop there either. In Luke chapter 10, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. I mean, it wasn't just the 12 that were following Jesus by now. They were his, his school of disciples. But many people followed him. Many people would travel with him, would listen to his teachings. Some because they knew one of the 12 disciples. And they wanted to, wanted to get in on the act. So Jesus gathered 72 others, the, a broader group of individuals. And again, he passed this baton, the, 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 the privilege and the responsibility to carry on his mission, to reflect him. And he sent them out two by two. He said... The harvest is plentiful. Or let me go ahead and start. He sent him out two by two ahead of him to every town where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, I'm not satisfied with these 12 guys in this broader group of, of 72. Pray that that we would be able to gather and call others who would begin to take on this mission. He says, go. Come, follow me. Now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Then in verse 9, he says, here's your mission. Heal the sick. Heal, therapeutics. The sick the lame, the weak, the hopeless, the broken. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. The presence of God has come near to you. The intentions of God has come near to you because the king has stepped off the throne in heaven and come to earth. And now the king is gathering others to help press out to enact, to, to bring to this earth his good and kind intentions. The kingdom of God was slicing from heaven to earth through the 12, just as it happened through Jesus. And now through the 72. But it doesn't stop there. The baton had passed from the heart of the Father in heaven and Jesus came to fulfill that will and it was passed on to the 12, it was passed on to the 72 and it continues to be passed. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I mean, he's king. Therefore, go. These are those that he had called to come. Now he's saying, and this, by the way, this is the, the, these were the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended to heaven. These took place 40 days after the resurrection. Gathered all those who were following him. And he said, listen, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go, all of you, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Don't let the purposes and the mission that I had end with the death of the apostles. Don't let it end with the, the death of the 72. Don't let it end in this generation. He said, I want you to go and to make disciples. Of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says, and surely I'm going to be, I, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to be with you. My spirit is going to come and fill you. My spirit is going to indwell you so that you can walk and go and do my mission as you're coming to me and going, as you're daily spending time with me and getting your marching orders and getting filled up and continually getting transformed. And he sent them out to make disciples And he says, teach them to obey or to do everything that I've commanded you. Heal the sick, serve and support the weak, cast out demons, set captive free. It's his mission. It's his ministry that they were called to. It wasn't their ministry. It was his ministry. And now he was telling them, Go get more disciples. Continue to pass on the baton. And folks, that commission, that job description has been passed on now for 2,000 years. The baton has gone from one generation, from one country, from one culture to the next for 2,000 years. And now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. We're the church. We are his disciples in 2015 who get to to do his ministry, to fulfill his mission, to reflect him, and to continually come so we can be transformed. It's just the rhythm of of the kingdom of God that continues. Now, let me get practical for a little bit. How does this coming and going look for you and I? How does it look in in Vineyard Church of Delaware County? Now, as I said, that disciples always actively, purposefully are growing. They're growing in, in relationship with Jesus so that we can continually grow in our ability to be imitators of Christ. We always will walk with a limp. It'll never fully be accomplished, our transformation, our ability to say, I am the image of Christ here on earth. But we are in this process here at VCDC as his 21st century disciples of being transformed. Because see, church attenders... Church attenders just go to church on Sunday morning, maybe Wednesday night, you know, pray over their their meals perhaps. That's what a church attender does. But disciples, to be a disciple is something quite different. Disciples continually grow and continually change, continually come into his presence and continually go to fulfill his purposes. A true disciple would never be aware of an area of their life that was broken or damaged and say, well, it's good enough. A true disciple would never see in their life an area that is going to interfere in their being, being able to be a reflection of their master and say, well, I'm satisfied or I, I don't want to have to deal with it. A true disciple is always wanting to grow and become more free and more able to reflect him. And we need to understand that God's called us to be a church full of not church attenders, but God's called us to be a church full of disciples, full of those who say, as I see areas in my life that aren't as God would desire, then I want to cooperate with with his purposes and his plans so that I can put myself in context in context, and in environments where he can change me and mold me and shape me. A real disciple would not be willing to, to struggle in their marriage and say, well, what the heck? A real disciple wouldn't be dealing with, with problems with anger, 
problems of anxiety, problems of fear, problems of any sort. And say, well, that's okay. Because a, a true disciple recognizes our limps, though they'll always be with us to some degree, affect how I reflect my master. And I want, I want to continually to cooperate with him, drawing near to him, walking in, in his purposes so he can transform me so I can reflect him. See, dealing with our stuff is a sure sign of being a disciple. But unfortunately, we, we live in a culture that it's, it's almost the goal to hide our stuff, to hide our difficulties, to hide those areas that, are, that aren't right, that are broken, to hide our limps. We want to go ahead and, and walk around and wear masks and, and put on costumes so that we can imply that my life is together. But we know that's not the case. And true disciples, as God puts that spotlight on certain areas, and he's gracious enough not to, to show us our, our full fall in this. We probably just collapse on the floor immediately. But he's faithful enough at various times in our lives to say, okay, you see this area? We're going to deal with it. And we just come and allow him to deal with it however he chooses so that as we go, we can go being a, a clearer reflection. Every disciple, every disciple will walk with a limp, but good, faithful disciples admit it and begin this lifelong process of change. That's the difference between churchgoers and disciples. Disciples come to Jesus and to his people, because the people, the church, it's the body of Christ, in order to get whole. Healthy church supports the process of growth and change. And here in Vineyard Church of Delaware County, the, one of the primary core areas where we can grow and change is our small groups. Because when we go to a small group, more likely than not, there are going to be people, it's, the small groups are full of people with limps, right? But more likely than not, there are going to be people with different limps than yours. People who you can look at and who can help to reflect what maybe healthy marriage looks like if that's your difficulty. Or if, you're, if you have a, a good, solid marriage, but you have some problems with, with fear or anxiety, there'll be people who can go and begin a, begin a reflection and an encouragement in that area. But the small groups give us a context where God can begin to work in our lives and to change us through the example through the presence of God and the ministry of the body of Christ, through looking at and applying the word to our lives. In addition, the small groups here at Vineyard Church, Delaware County, are, are sort of like incubators for discipleship. It's where we can begin to make ourselves available to the presence of God, the hand of God, to to form us. It's not the only area, but it's certainly a key area. And, and beyond that, here at the Church of Delaware Vineyard Church, is there are various life support ministries, discipleship support ministries, where we can get help from one another, where we can grow and change and to, to learn how to cooperate with God's transforming power. We, we have a, a well-developed and a continually developing marriage ministry where we have seminars, we have the date of the month club, we have various conferences, we've had retreats, we have small groups that are, are designed to, to support marriages. Uh, Tag and Jan are here today, or Tag's here today. Jan was here and she's probably with the kids. Where, where they have a small group called I Do and I Did that is designed to, to support marriages where we can say, I, I want to grow in my marriage because I'm a disciple. 
And I, I want to reflect Jesus in all the areas of my life. We have a peer counseling ministry that's led by, by Sandy Hutchison. We have professional counselors that work together with, with our pastoral team to bring help. And, and we can refer to pastoral counselors. We have a soaking prayer ministry where, where healing prayer can be, take place with, with small groups of, of trained individuals, teams of individuals who've been trained to deal with serious emotional and physical conditions so we can cooperate with what God's doing. We have a divorce care ministry that, that's led by Paul Litwin. Where, there's Paul. The, uh, a divorce care and divorce care for kids ministry and, and class and that supports those who are going through the difficulties uh, surrounding divorce and separation. We have a great class called the Bait of Satan. Where's Andy and Beth? There they are. Andy and Beth, uh, once, twice a year, do this, this class that is wonderful. It's 12, 13 weeks long, and it's a class that deals with how we can learn to be free from unforgiveness because of offenses that we may be, be carrying from others. Great class. There are other classes and courses and ministries that we have available. Grief Share and, and Financial Freedom and, and uh, Financial Peace Institute helping us to, be, to, to grow. Many of our equipped courses that we announce every week, our equipped classes can help us grow and be conformed to Christ and be transformed by our master. We have the Shape class because disciples are actively pursuing change and conformity to Christ. And these classes and these ministries and these activities within the church help to shape and form us, help us to, to cooperate with what God's doing. There's a list out there of, of all of our life support ministries on the, on the information wall. But we also, the church also sends people out. We also have people going because not any disciple is simply coming to be transformed. We're being transformed so we can continue to do his mission, to do his ministry. We have food pantry, medical clinic, the cooperation with Big Walnut Friends Who Share, just a, a organization in the community that does wonderful work helping to touch and call and reflect our master in the community. Concerts on the square where we interface with the community and reflect our master. We have a mission, uh, Life Builders Ministry here, a day program for developmentally disabled that, that functions here in our church. Mission, mission to Brazil. We have missionaries in Brazil and in Angola. These are all ways that as disciples we go. We've, we send churches out. We've planted uh, or are in the process of planting six churches over the last 12, 13 years. But being a disciple cannot be left up to church discipleship activities and church programs. There has to be personal discipleship activities. It's not just something the church does, but you in your workplace, you in your neighborhoods, you in your communities, you with your family, yet to be his disciples. I was talking to a friend. He said every time that he goes to work, he sees his workplace like a garden. And his job beyond what they call him to do for his, for his career, he says uh, on his breaks and, and during lunch, he, he sees the, the people that work there like a, a garden that he's tending to. And this person, he waters a little bit. And that person, he, he comes alongside and builds up. And there's another one that, where he fertilizes and, and tills the soil so that they can see an increasing way through his words and through his attitudes, they can see a reflection of Christ. Andy and Beth Paniak. You know, last night we had a couple named uh, John and, and, and Kim uh, Sasala, and they were here. The reason why John and Kim Sasala are in this church and have come to Christ is because they were neighbors of Andy and Beth, and as disciples, Andy and Beth began to plow their driveway and, and clear it off and shovel it clean, and it touched them. They didn't recognize that they were seeing a reflection of Andy and, and Beth's master, but it, it began to draw them in. They wanted to know why they were doing it. They wanted to know, what's this church that you go to? 
and now they come, and now they're, they're part of the, the family of God. We have people going out on short-term mission trips to Brazil and Costa Rica, and in the years to come, I believe we'll be sending teams to, to China. Being Christ outwardly. Reflecting our master. Doing the work of God. We're called to be a missional people. We're called to take on his mission, not our mission. It's Jesus' mission, but it, we have the privilege and we've been given the responsibility to take the baton for our generation, for our communities, to be his disciples and to make disciples, to come to him and go in his presence. That's our privilege. We have to decide individually. We have to decide as a church family, are we going to, be, are we going to just be a church of church attenders or are we going to be a church of disciples. Why don't you stand up? Bonnie, why don't you come, come on up? There's the mic. And uh, Bonnie had a word that I want to begin our, our ministry time with. Here you go. To do all that we've been taught today and to transition into ministry time, the Holy Spirit was really working on me last night and into this morning that he wants to deposit passion, a passion upon each and every one of us. You know, we're passionate about hockey, we're passionate about sports cars or whatever else that you're into, Pinterest. He wants us to be passionate disciples to go forward to do what each and every one of us is called to do. So I think he's really stirring in us today a passion. And passion, like when you first fall in love, is something where you just have to be with that person. And that person just kind of blesses you so much you want to be with them. Jesus wants that for us. Number two, he said he wants to change and give us vision vision for what we're doing and why we're doing it because without vision we perish in the book of proverbs it says where there is no vision the people perish so if we don't have that vision before us then we're going to die out we're going to get tired we're going to get weary we're going to get burnt out we're going to hit the brick wall so he wants to stir up passion he wants to give us vision to see how he sees it's his eyes behind our eyes it's his hands behind our hands it's his words behind our mouth then thirdly, the gift of faith. The gift of faith is an amazing thing. It's a gift. And the gift of faith says, well, of course I'm going to do that. Of course I'm going to go out and I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to do it because it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach the good news. I am. Admire at my work. Wherever he calls you to go, wherever you're planted geographically, we are to be disciples. But to do it, we have to have vision, we have to have passion, and we have to have that gift of faith that says, yes, I can. And I really believe that as we come forward today and just say, I want it. I want to go big. Why not? We're Christians. We're born again. Why not get set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit so we leave this place and people look at us and go, what's the reason of the hope that's in you? You're different. I want some of that. And so please feel free, as Danny segues into ministry time, to come forward and say, I want that. I want vision. I want passion. I want to be stirred up again. I don't care if you're old or young or anywhere in between. you got to have passion to keep on keeping on. Actually, I'm not I'm not going to call you to come forward. We're going to do something a little bit different today. I believe you know, we're, we're among friends. This is family. What we're going to do, because I think that what Bonnie shared was a right on target, you know, that God wants us to, to recognize that we, we, for some we've lost our passion. We, it's just leaked over time. For, for some of us, we've lost that vision for what God has called us to, the, the mission of Christ that we get to be embracing for some, the, the filling of the Spirit, the faith of God, uh, the faith that God gives us to, to take hold of His power, it, it's, just, it's just leaked out of us. And, and I want us to take a time, right where you stand, that we can just 
pray out loud. For some, it will be prayers of confession. Lord, I, I've leaked, and I need more of you. For others, it may be just an acknowledgement that, that we want that vision, that we, we need more vision. We need to be captured by his vision. For some, we just need to call out and, and, and say, Jesus, I need more of your spirit within me. I need to appropriate more of your spirit within me. So we're going to take a few minutes here, and I, I'm going to encourage you, don't be bashful, just out loud, just pray what God puts on your heart. Ask God to provide for you what you need. I'll begin it and I'll end it, and you're going to fill in the middle. Father, in Jesus' name, I personally, I confess that it, I have leaked, I've leaked vision and passion for your purposes and for, for grabbing hold of that baton that you've given to me. Fill me with more vision and more passion. Father, collectively, as your children, as your disciples, we ask that you would fill us with more passion, more vision, more faith, so we can be about your business, so that we can be missional people, bringing the purposes of heaven to earth. Hold your hands out. I'm going to say a benediction over you. And now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in everything good for doing his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all of God's people said... Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's go and be disciples. Amen? Amen. Amen.